I think no matter who we are, no matter what our background is, we would love to know that God is on our side, that he's committed to us. Whether it's uh, during hardships or during good times, we would love to know for certain that God is on our side, that we have his favor, his love, that he wants the best for us and is working for our good. And so what do you and I have to do to ensure that God is committed to us? What do we have to do to ensure that he is going to work all things for our good, that he's going to work for our benefit, for our blessing? What do we have to do to ensure that God loves us, forgives us, that his favor rests on us? It's a question that I bet Jephthah wished he would have known earlier. Jephthah is a judge we come to in in Judges chapter 11. Uh, And if you've been following the cycle and if you've been following this series, you know that the Israelites have this continued circle where they're at peace. They fall into sin, reject God. God gives them over into uh, the hands of their enemies. They cry out for help. And then there's a deliverer, and then it's back to peace. Uh, Jephthah is one of those deliverers, and in Judges chapter 11, he wishes he would have known the answer to the question that we're asking. What do we have to do to ensure that God is committed to us and loves us and his favor rests on us? Because he makes a big mess of his life. And so before jumping in, let me set the scene. Remember last week we looked at Gideon, and Gideon had a son named Abimelech. Abimelech, after Gideon dies, tries to become king of Israel. He gets a group together, and then he actually attacks other Israelites. There's civil war. Abimelech eventually dies because he attacks the city, and a woman from a very high tower drops a millstone right on his head, cracks his head, and he dies. And the Bible says after they saw Abimelech die, they, they all went home. Uh, riot, uprising, done. Uh, So after Abimelech, the people fall into sin once again and God gives them over to the Ammonites. And this is when we're introduced to Jephthah. Let's get some background on him uh, so that we know who he is. uh, Judges chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any of our uh, any in our. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family. They said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel. The elders of Gilead went to uh, get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me away from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and, uh, and you will be head over us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. 
we will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah isn't exactly your, your golden child. He's not from royal bloodline. Jephthah uh, is an illegitimate child. Born because dad slept with a prostitute, cheated on mom, slept with a prostitute, got pregnant, bore Jephthah. As he grows up, mom and dad's sons, the sons don't like Jephthah because he's going to steal some of the inheritance and he's only half the blood of uh, Gilead. So what uh, what does his brother say? Get out of here. You're not going to share in the inheritance. So they drive him away. And what does he become? He becomes kind of this mobster. Uh, We're told scoundrels. A gang of scoundrels surrounds Jephthah and follow him. And Jephthah's their leader. Uh, Today we'd call it the mob. If you want to talk about it back in the day, uh, he could be like a head pirate. Pillaging. He's that type of warrior. He's going around leading these raids with this group of guys behind him. Well, Gilead gets into trouble, and his family gets into trouble, and the Ammonites come and attack, and they send for Jephthah. Come and lead us. And Jephthah says, no way. Are you kidding me? You just need me right now because you're in trouble. You kicked me out. I'll do it, though, if you make me your leader. And so through negotiation, they say, yes, if you bring victory over the Ammonites, you will be our leader. And so Gideon tries. He comes and he tries to have diplomacy with the Ammonites. He lays out for them why the land belongs to Israel and why Israel should be free. And the Ammonite leader, the king, rejects his reasons. And so here's what happens. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. That's the vow. Then Jephthah went over to the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Minith, as far as abel Keramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels, She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. 
From this comes the Israelite tradition that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. It's one of the most tragic stories in the Bible. Uh, As Jephthah is fighting the Ammonites, he makes this vow. This vow that whatever comes out of his house, when he comes back with victory, that he would dedicate it to the Lord, that it would be the Lord's as a burnt offering. So what, is, what exactly does he mean here? What's he, what's he trying to, what's the vow all about? Because some people try to defend Jephthah. They try to say, well, Jephthah was thinking of an animal. The animal would come out of his house, and whatever it was, that's what he would sacrifice. Two things about it, though. Number one, he says, whatever comes out of my door. Goats, bulls, lambs, your typical offerings don't live inside the house. Secondly, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Uh, That's the original uh, Hebrew. uh, And so the original Hebrew actually allows for both animal and human sacrifice. Why would he make this vow? Deuteronomy chapter 12, just a few books before this one, God says that he hates human sacrifices. He detests them. So why in the world would Jephthah make a vow to uh, sacrifice whatever man, woman, or animal that comes out of his house? The answer? Because the culture around him had influenced him. Influenced him in two ways. Number one, the Ammonites who he's fighting performed human sacrifices to their god Molech. Molech was a statue that kind of sat like this with his arms out and then you'd burn a sacrifice over him. You'd have a fire underneath and you put the, the human being right in his arms and then you let it burn and you burnt that person alive as a sacrifice to Molech. So that's where the human sacrifices came from and it influenced him. Secondly, what really influenced him and what crept into his life is their relationship, their view of their relationship with an idol. And their view of their relationship with an idol was a transactional one. Mr. Idol, you do this for me and I will sacrifice this for you. If you bless me, if you keep me, if you help me win battles, I will sacrifice my child to you, Mr. Molech. It was very much, you do this, I do this for you. It's a transactional relationship. And that view of his relationship with God crept into his heart. God, you grant me success in this victory and I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house. Why did he make it? He didn't trust that God was committed to him. And he had to ensure that God was committed, and so he had to sacrifice something to the Lord. This is a transactional relationship, and this is how we treat God like an idol. We treat God when we have a transactional view of our relationship with him. I remember doing this as a kid, actually even through high school. I remember before before a big sports game, I would always pray, 
God, please let us win. And if you let us win, I promise I'll be in church on Sunday morning. I promise I will do this. I promise I won't do that. It's transactional. Most recently, it looked like this. Me holding five Powerball tickets in my hand saying, God, if you let me win the lottery, I will donate half of it to ministry. That's a transactional view and a transactional relationship with God. God, you give me this and I will do this for you. And yet, that view of our relationship with God really creeps into the heart as other things happen in our lives. It's probably most seen when hardships come. When when hardships, when suffering, when bad things happen in our life, how often don't we have that mindset of, God, what did I do to deserve this? Is it because I wasn't in church enough? Is it because I haven't been living a moral enough life? Is it because I haven't given enough? Is it because I, I haven't read the Bible as much as I used to? What did I do for this hardship to come into my life? On the flip side, when things are going well, we look around and we say, well, of course things are going well. Of course God is blessing me. Look, I'm in church. I've been reading my Bible. I'm living a good life. Of course God is blessing me because that's how our relationship works. I give, God gives. I take away, God takes away. It's this transactional relationship. Wouldn't it be great to know without a doubt that no matter what was going on in our life, no matter what battles we were facing, that God was committed to us through it? I bet Jephthah thought that would be great. Wouldn't it be great to know that God wanted to bless us That no matter what the situation is, he was working for our good. Wouldn't it be great to know that God was committed to us in every situation? I bet Jephthah wished he had that answer. And I bet he wished it didn't rely on him. Because unfortunately, he did think it relied on him. And unfortunately, he made the vow to sacrifice whatever came out of his door. And what did? His daughter, his one and only daughter. And we're told he tears his robes, which back in those days, you tore your robes to show how your heart is tearing apart in sadness and in anger. He says, daughter, I have made a vow that I can't break. And probably almost more shocking, the daughter says, you've got to fulfill your your vow, Dad. Just give me two months to go and roam and mourn that I'm never going to marry. And she does. And she comes back and Jephthah does exactly what he vowed. Why? Why not just say, I messed up. I made a stupid vow. The answer is the same reason why he made it. He had to ensure God's favor. He had to ensure that God was looking down with love and approval. He had to ensure that God was committed to him. Or so he thought. And so he had to go through with it, because if not, then God wouldn't be committed to him in his mind. And he made his life a mess. 
How often doesn't this mindset also creep into our life, this transactional view of God? We have God's love and favor when I'm living my Christian faith. I have God's forgiveness only if I do this. Wouldn't it be great to know that God's favor, his grace, and his love was yours whether you were standing firm or when you fell? Wouldn't it be great to know that you have God's mercy every second of the day regardless of what you do or do not do? What do we have to do to ensure that God is committed to us, committed to loving, committed to grace, committed to mercy? The answer? Nothing. You can't do anything to ensure it. Neither can I. We can't do anything to ensure God's commitment to us. But the good news God can, and God does. See, God's commitment to us is not a transactional relationship. God's commitment to us is not based on our sacrifice for him, but on his sacrifice for us. God's commitment to us isn't based on our sacrifice for him, but on his sacrifice for us. You want to know that God's committed to you. You want to know that you have God's love and mercy. You want to know that his forgiveness is yours. You want to know that he's working all things for your good. You want to know that he's going to bless you and that he hasn't abandoned you when bad times come or when good times happen. God says, then look at this. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus. God said, I'm committed to you, not based on what you give up, but look it. I'm committed to you, and I'm going to prove it. Look what I gave up for you. As he gives up his one and only son to take your place. Here's how 1 John 2, 2 puts it. He, that's Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. God wanted you to know that he is so committed to you, that he loves you, that he forgives you, that his favor is with you, that he sent his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. That word atoning is like a peace offering. It, It makes us at one, it brings us together. And so think about how crazy this is. You and I sin, we messed up, We put the divide between our relationship with God and God says, I want us to have a relationship and I'm so committed to it that I'm not asking you to give anything. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to fix it. You messed up, but I'm going to fix it and I'm going to fix it by sending my son to be the sacrifice for your sins. You want to talk about commitment. You want to talk about a sign of commitment. Look at the cross of Christ. There we see just how much God loves you. Just how much favor he has on you. Just how much love he has for you. Forgiveness and mercy. He gave up his one and only son 
to have a relationship with you. And because of Jesus, your sin has been removed and you are in a good relationship with God. Now and forever. And now because of Jesus, God makes some incredible promises to you. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. No matter if your, your life is going horribly or great, God is with you. He promises because of Jesus. He promises in Romans chapter 8 that he will work all things for the good of those who love him. Whether it's good times or bad, God promises, I'm not leaving and I'm going to work all of this for your good. He promises that you are his child, not because you've dusted yourself off and you made yourself look good, but because of Jesus. He is committed to you. He is committed to you in every scenario, in every battle, in every situation. Your God is committed to you. His favor and grace he's committed to giving you. His love he's committed to giving you. Forgiveness. And he's committed to working all things for your good. This is an incredible message. And I bet it's what Jephthah wished he would have known before going into that battle. I bet he wished he would have known that God was committed to him and that he was going to work the battle out for his eternal good. Because anyone who made a foolish vow and made a mess of his life, instead he could have lived for God. And so this God's commitment to us changes the way we view our relationship and the way we live. Romans chapter 12 says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You see, you and I, we do make a sacrifice. We do sacrifice to God, but it's not to earn his favor. It's not to ensure that God's commitment to us. It's because God's already committed to us. It's in view of the mercy, because of the mercy that God has for you and me. The grace, the love, the favor. Because his commitment to us, regardless of what we give, we want to live for him. We want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Offer our bodies to live and love him. And as we do so, we know that he's committed to us, whether we're succeeding in that, But also when we fall, his love is there to forgive us. We know that as we live for him and we're living our lives as living sacrifices, that whether we are failing and losing or whether we're winning and succeeding, God's love, favor, commitment, and forgiveness is ours. All because of Jesus. And when we realize he's committed to us regardless of anything we've done, it changes our hearts to want to live for him. And so, as we leave here today, the Lord bless your week. The Lord bless your week and let your heart be comforted knowing that your God is with you wherever you go. He's committed to you, whether it's good times or bad. His love, his favor, It's all there because of Jesus.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you that your love for us doesn't depend on what we give, but on what you gave. And you gave your one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. As we go about our week, we ask that you comfort our hearts with this knowledge and let that knowledge transform our hearts to live lives for you, not because we have to, but out of thanks for what you've done for us. Because our hearts are so overwhelmed with your commitment to us that we want to live for you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.